Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Well, welcome. It's great to have you here again today. And and normally in an introduction to a message, uh, a a preacher uses an anecdote. They'll often make uh, a captivating statement that engages and intrigues the audience. Perhaps they'll uh, use a question that can connect with where people are at, and then they set the message up with a hook. That's how I, I train uh, people when I, I teach on, on preaching, and it's good technique. And today I'm not going to do none of, um, do any of that. Or maybe I just already have and done it really cunningly. Where I want to start this morning is a bit different. I want to say to us that we're all self-centred, self-seeking, self-orientated, self-serving, and selfish. You feel encouraged today. We can't actually help it because we are the centre of our universe. One of the the major developments in in childhood is the awareness that a a baby goes through when they discover that they are a a separate person from their parents, from the mother in particular. When when we had our, our first son, Jordan, we were told to play a lot with his hands and his feet to show him that he's got hands and his feet and help him learn that he is a distinct person that is not still attached uh, to his mother. It's a natural part of development. Uh, Kerry tells me that one of our kids still thinks that they're attached to her. But um, look, there's nothing wrong with having self at at the centre as long as it's not a permanent state of affairs. Love is removing self from the centre of our world for fleeting moments. Love is displayed when we intentionally put others before ourselves. And I reckon it would take something as powerful as love for us to actually do that, to put others ahead of ourselves. We wouldn't have much motivation to do that otherwise. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrong. When, when I do uh, take weddings, and, and I've, I've done quite a few, one of the things that we often talk about is that, that love is a verb, it requires action. But in, in this particular sentence, the, the verb is the thing, the, the list of things that follow love. Patience, kindness, it does not envy. Love, in that sentence, becomes a noun, it's the description of the what the actions show. Now, I'm not an English teacher, and Dave Court can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this is certainly, English was never one of my, my strong subjects. I wish I had paid more attention to it, given how much writing I do now. But when love is, is usually or often a verb, it requires actions, and those actions that love requires are demonstrated in the list of the verbs that follow it. In other words, we can see love in action when we can observe certain behaviours. 
Why did I bother to say all that this morning? Well, that's a great question. Thank you for asking it. I said it because when we look at someone, we can't see love. But we can see what love looks like in the way that they behave. It's the behaviour that informs the belief that love exists and the depth of it. Do you understand this morning? When we look at each other, we, we can't see the embodiment of love, but we can see the behaviours of love in, in each other's lives. You know, it's never enough, and this is something I, I, I talk to couples that are getting married about sometimes, it, it's never enough just to say, I love you. We actually have to demonstrate that we love someone by doing something. Those words alone are hollow if they're not followed by love behaviour. For God, so love the world. What a, what a great opening to the famous verse in John 3.16. For a lot of people, it's one of the first verses we ever learn. It's a verse that is often universally known and recognised even by people who aren't in church because as Christians, we, we use that verse a lot. We're told that God loves us. For God so loved the world. But we're also told in context of that verse that God loves everybody. God loves the world. God loves his followers. God loves Hindus and Muslims. God even loves terrorists. Sorry, not sorry this morning if that makes you uncomfortable. God loves murderers. And abusers and liars. And I'm actually so thankful for that. Because by the standards of Jesus, I'm a thief and a liar. Many people in this room would be seen as murderers because the standard Jesus said is if we hate someone in our heart, we're guilty of having committed the offence of murder. It's a pretty impossible standard, but I'm so thankful that God loves everybody, because that means God loves me. And if it was reliant on me, there's no way that God could love me. I'm not good enough. None of us are. If you're worthy of the love of God in your own right this morning, do me a favour, get up and fly around the room on your way out, please. We just can't. But it's not reliant on us because it's reliant on God. For God so loved the world. And the extension of John 3.16 is that without God's declaration of love, none of us would be here this morning. But it doesn't stop there. It never did and it never will stop there. Love is demonstrated in action. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. And that's the outworking of God's love. None of us were good enough. None of us measured up. None of us were free from sin. But God's love compelled him to give us the greatest gift there has ever been. God loved us and sent us his son, Jesus. God loved us and did something about it. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned from this verse is that when it comes to love, Actions speak louder than words. If you're taking notes today, and I hope 
bunch of you are, you need to write that down. It's our key thought. Your actions speak louder and more consistently than your words ever will. I'm sure you could think of a time when someone said they cared about you or they supported you or they were going to be there for you, but their actions actually showed the opposite. I could tell a few stories this morning, but I won't, of that happening to me. See, it's hard for us to hide our true feelings when it comes to our behaviour because actions speak louder than words. Romans 5 verse 8 is, is an incredible verse and I love it. But God showed, there's the action, his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know that, that that's an incredibly powerful thought. God didn't wait till we had it together. God didn't wait until we knew enough of, of his word or understood who he was that We'd we'd sort through things and sorted out our morals and our character and our behaviour. He didn't wait because it says, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was while we were messed up and broken and couldn't make a way for ourselves that Christ died for us. That is incredible because it's the same today. We don't have to have it all together. In fact, I'm a firm believer that church is a place where no perfect people are allowed because we come as we are and that's enough because of God's love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. There it is again, love in action. We need to show the truth by the way we live our lives. It's not enough for, for me to say I love you, for you to say that you love the person beside you, and that's not enough. It actually has to be tied to a set of behaviours, a set of things that we do. It needs an expression. Because actions speak louder than words. I started a series based around 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen. Verse says this, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Over the last three weeks, I've looked at faith and and hope, and now I want to spend a bit of time unpacking love, because love is more important than your faith. Love is more important than hope. Of all the things that endure, love is the greatest of them. Love should be the hallmark of Christian living. It should work its way through every conversation and interaction that you have. It should set us apart. It should be seen louder and stronger than anything that we're against. When it comes to controversial issues in this nation at the moment, there's issues around same-sex marriage and sexuality, and it's hard for a lot of churches to work out what their response is should be, and a lot of the response is very negative and critical. And I may not toe the party line entirely. The elders can growl at me later if, I, if they want to, but I think our response should be a response of love. When it comes to grappling and dealing with the issues in society today that are 
Counter what we would believe, and different to our worldview, I think our response needs to be a response of love because that's the response that God took whilst we were still sinners. And when I, I read and I begin to understand who God is and the way Jesus went about things, we need to understand that we are to be a people of love. The author of Proverbs understood the power of love. Listen to these words. Proverbs 3, 3 to 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. We want to engage with a world that doesn't see things like we see them. We do it from a place of love. We want to challenge what is, has become acceptable in society, the things that we might disagree with. We do it from a place of love. Love should be our response. Love should be our behaviour. Today I want to focus on understanding God's love for us and what it means. First thing we're told when it comes to the love of God is that we're children of God. I'll read you 1 John 3, 1 to 3. See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognise that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. It could be a little bit tough to follow what's going on there, but we're called to be the children of God. We'll become true children or the full expression of that when Christ returns. The Apostle John tells us we will be like him. Matthew chapter 12, 47 to 50 says this, Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. If we do the will of God, that means living the kind of life that God would have us live, we become part of God's family. We're children of God. Galatians 4, 4 to 7 says this, but when the time was right, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call Abba Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own children. And since you are his children, God has made you his heir. There's an awful lot we can learn about the love of God from this verse this morning. And what that love compelled us or compelled God to do. We're told that God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law. Now I've spoken about the law quite a bit over the years that I've been here. The, the law was given to Moses by God initially on the mountain, the Ten Commandments. And now there's a comprehensive list of things to do and, and, and not to do. It was a system 
uh, that, of offerings and sacrifices. There was consequences for breaking the law and remedies uh, to make things right. The Jewish people were known as the people of the book. In fact, the, the law to them was so important that by the time a child was 10 years of age, they could recite large passages, if not the entire Torah, the first five books of our Bible, the law. They understood it. It was such an incredible part of the foundation of their life that the law was something they were trained in from the very beginning. But the problem with the law, the law doesn't change lives. It simply creates a line in the sand. You cross the line, you've broken the law. You stay on the right side of the line, you haven't. Sacrifice, there's a limit to that system because I can offer a sacrifice for the sins that I've committed and then start sinning again immediately. And it would be this perpetual cycle. When Jesus came, it says God sent him to buy our freedom. To buy something, a price must be paid. That price was the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was without sin, he could be our sacrifice once and for all time. That's why Jesus died on the cross and why we no longer come to church on a Sunday morning and sacrifice things. Because Jesus was the sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus sat in that place and became that sacrifice and took our sin upon himself. He took the penalty and the punishment for our sin upon his shoulders. Second part, that verse talks about God adopting us as his children. Adoption is an incredibly powerful thing. What I love about adoption is that there's a choice. I had no choice who my brothers were. I would have traded them in in a heartbeat. I didn't have a choice who my kids were. But when it comes to adoption, there is a choice. When I was a teenager, my family spent a lot of time, a lot of years fostering children. We would have children in our home, in and out, giving them a break when the parental situation wasn't great. And We had this little girl and, and her brother, from we had her from the age of six months. She'd been uh, born of, uh, in terrible circumstances. Mother was a drug user, had used drugs throughout pregnancy. When we got this little girl, we couldn't believe it, but she'd been sexually abused before she was six months of age. We had her in our house and <laughs> fell in love with this little girl. Had her off and on for a lot of years and that became a permanent arrangement. We chose to adopt this girl into our family. The, the great thing about that is that God chooses us. He adopts us into his family. He takes us who were broken, who were sinners, and he says, I want you to be my children. When I was four and a half, many of you know my, my story, but my dad passed away. Mum remarried after that, and my uh, stepfather uh, legally adopted my, me and my, my brother as, as his children. I remember sitting in front of the judge and having a conversation with them, and 
remember the paperwork that, that took place. And quite a few years later, I needed to get a passport. And I went to the, the passport office and I filled out the paperwork and, and I, I sent it away. And the, it came back saying, your passport application has been denied. We can't find a record of the person that you say is your father. What had happened was when I was adopted, and I don't know what the law is in Australia, I probably should look into it sometime, but when I was adopted, the record of my birth father was sealed at that moment in my life. The only record of my father was my adopted father. So when, according to the government of New Zealand, when I was adopted, at that moment, Tony became my birth father. And so on the official paperwork that I sent away when it said, who is your father? And I put my birth father, it came back declined. And I reflected on the power of that for us when it says that God adopts us as his children. The past is sealed. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are part of his family of origin. And that's a powerful thing. Church, God chooses you. He chooses you to be part of his family. The Bible says that, that God's heart is that all would be saved. It's a powerful word, all. It means all, everybody. God wants everybody to be part of his family. We know that some choose not to. We know that some don't have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But God's heart is that we would be his children. Two things happen when we're adopted. First thing is we become the responsibility of the new family. When we're adopted into God's family, he's our father. He's now responsible for us. Our nature and our growth become his responsibility. Kerry and I do, do some parenting on the fly, but most of the time we're pretty intentional about the way we train our kids the things that we think are acceptable behaviours and things that are not. And we're trying to, to shape them and mould them into the kind of people we think they should be. We've determined in our family how it will function. It's the same with God. When we're part of his family, our responsibilities have changed. We're supposed to reflect the values of our new family. Supposed to do things God's way. In our family, there's chores to do. Things that the kids have to do every week. Some things are tied to a bit of pocket money they earn, but there's just things that means to be part of our family. It differs based on the age and the capacity of the child. But I don't think it's much different with God. If you've been in church a while, if you've been in the family of God for an extended period of time, you should be able to do more than someone who is new to faith. We're supposed to grow, mature, and reflect the family that we're a part of. The second thing that happens in an adoption is the child becomes an heir of the new family. Firstly, it was responsibility. Now it's about our rights. When my little sister was adopted, became part of our family, she didn't get the partial benefit of being a child in our house. She got the whole thing. She was as much a, a daughter as I was a son. She didn't get a partial benefit. She got the whole benefit. She was a full participant. 
And when we're adopted into God's family, we get the blessings that go along with that. We have access to the power of the name of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that, that we can do greater miracles than Jesus did. It's pretty crazy. I don't know about you. I've tried to walk on water quite a few times. I'm yet to be successful. Maybe it's because I take my phone out of my pocket before I try it. Lack of faith. Bible is full of incredible promises for God, of God for his children. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Listen to some of the promises that God has made for us. He's promised us that if we search for him, we will find him. That he's not playing hard to get. It says our God is near whenever we pray to him. God promised protection for his children. He promised us that his love will never fail. He promised salvation to all who believe in his son. He promised that all things work for the good of his children. He promised us comfort in our trials. He promised us a new life in Christ. He promised to finish the work that he started in us. He promised us peace when we pray. Jesus has promised us rest. He's promised an abundant life to those who follow him. He's promised eternal life to those who trust in him. And he's promised that he will return for us. We have responsibilities as children of God, but we also have rights. It's the blessing of God that his love has compelled him to give us. Because actions speak louder than words. I want to finish the message off today by talking about something else that happens in families. It's not something we talk about too frequently. In fact, I don't think I've ever done a message on this and I couldn't ever see myself doing one, but here we go. It's the area of discipline. In our house, discipline takes one of two forms. The kids have to stand outside for four and a half hours in the middle of the road and hope, no, not at all. We, I'm not that bad a parent. We, we Three hours, that's right. And it's on the footpath, not the road. We, we normally will take uh, something off them. For my boys, the ultimate punishment is to take their tablets off them. They'll, they'll do anything to avoid that punishment. For my daughter, she doesn't have a tablet. We normally take one of her soft toys off her. Not that she sits playing with her soft toys, but she is horrified to think that it won't be on her bed when it's time to go to bed. One of the other things we'll do is, is give the kids a bit of time out. We'll, we'll send them to their bedrooms and they're allowed to read books and do activities and we're not like sit there in the corner and do nothing kind of people. But Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says this. My son and daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. We've already established, hopefully, in your mind this morning that God loves you. And this verse tells us that because God loves you, He's going to discipline you. Isn't that a great thought this morning? It's so encouraging. Discipline is on its way. But we discipline our kids, hopefully, not from a place of anger, but a place of love. Although, if I'm being honest this morning, I don't always get that right. And according to this verse, God disciplines us because he loves us. 
not because he's angry at us. I have interesting conversations as a pastor that most people would, would never have in their lives. And I think sometimes I, I hear people complaining about circumstances without realising that the, their consequences of their own sin, their own actions. And perhaps it's part of our Lord's loving discipline for us. See, there's a, a spiritual principle that takes place of sowing and reaping. If we sow bad seed, we're going to reap bad fruit. Something I've heard a lot is, I can't believe God is letting this happen to me. thought he was supposed to love me. Problem is, it's because he loves you that he allows the consequences of our actions to play out. Dealing with the, the neurological disorder that I have been for the last 18 months, I've learned a lot about pain. I've learned that, that pain really is our, our body's feedback system to tell us something is going wrong. If we touch something that, that is hot, the, the sensation that we get of burning is telling us quite quickly that we need to remove our hand from that thing. The problem with my nerve endings is I've been sending pain signals to my brain even though there's nothing that, that should have been triggering the pain response. I've learned that, that certain things uh, trigger the, the pain reaction in my body and I do my best to avoid those. See, consequences are the feedback system for our life and our actions. If the consequences of our behaviour are undesirable, hopefully we learn not to do that again. I don't reckon it would be a loving father that removes all consequences from his children. I reckon that would be a monster because it's our consequences, it's the result of the things that we do that we learn. We learn the things that we're doing are bad for us, that have negative outcomes, and hopefully we'll learn that certain behaviours are okay and other things are not okay. And God will use testing and trials and negative circumstances to bring us back to Him in repentance. The result of His discipline is hopefully a stronger faith, faith and a renewed relationship with God. Not to mention that it can break the power that that sin had over our lives. The Lord's discipline works for our own good. And as that verse said, that he may get glory with our lives. 1 Peter 5, uh, 1, 15 to 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you today is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Worship team, you can... Come and join me this morning. To tie it all up today, God is a God of love. The love of God compelled him to send Jesus to adopt us as his children and pour his love and blessing upon us. As our Father, he is concerned with our growth and our development. His desire is that we would become mature that over time we would reflect his family's values. So here's our action step today. I'm not doing the traffic lights thing that I normally do because I want us to all consider doing the same thing this week. Here's the action step. I want you to take 
some time in your week to reflect on the idea that you're a child of God. Some of you, you, you've kind of known that for a long time. Some of you, it might be a new idea to you. But it's not just a theoretical, theological concept. It's an intentional design that shapes the way we're supposed to live. Ask yourself the question, how does my behaviour reflect that I'm adopted by a God of love? How does my behaviour reflect God's family values? And what changes do I need to make? Let me pray for you. God, thank you that you are a God of love. I thank you that your love compelled you to send your son Jesus. Jesus, your love compelled you to die for us. God, I thank you that we're part of your family. God, that we have been adopted as your children. God, I pray that we would live lives that reflect your family values. God, help us to embrace your love this morning. Church, I'm really aware that for some people, the idea that God loves you is a really hard idea to actually accept. Again, I've heard people say, yeah, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done, the kind of life I've lived. God couldn't possibly love me. That's the beauty of the idea that without God, He couldn't love any of us. We're all sinners. And whilst we were sinners, Christ died. There's not a ranking system, a grading thing. There's not a pass mark. God's love and His grace is all-encompassing. And He loves you for you. There's nothing you can do that can earn that love in a greater way. You can't work it, you can't buy it, you can't organise to get hold of it yourself. It's just a gift that God has given you this morning. Maybe if that's you here today, you're in that place and you're struggling with the idea that God does love you. I just want to pray for you right now. God, open the eyes of our heart to see you as Abba Father, our Daddy, a Dad that loves us a dad that chose us, that invites us to be part of his family. God, may your love break through guilt. God, may your love break through false accusations that we make about ourselves. God, may your love break into our hearts today. May we feel the love of our Father who gave it all. And God, may our response be one of love for you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the death of Jesus that we can come today in freedom. God, we love you today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.